This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Good morning. Welcome to Celebration Church. Let's all stand together as our campus is joined with us over in Appleton and in Stevens Point this morning. And let's recite together the Apostles' Creed. This is our statement of faith. This is who we are and what we believe here at Celebration Church. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who for us and for our salvation was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead, and on the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the fellowship of believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Good to have you with us. And again, good morning to those over in Appleton and Stevens Point, those who watch us on the internet all over the world. I see everyone survived Christmas. Hallelujah. <laughs> and now moving on to a new year. Wow, this whole decade has gone by really fast, huh? And now we're going to start 2020. Our legacy uh, offerings uh, are, are done now. Now, if you haven't had a chance to do that yet, you can certainly still do that uh, by making a note of it in the regular offering this morning at the end of the service for the legacy campaign. We will give you a big report as to where we end up with that. It's done very, very well, uh, shockingly, actually. It might be a record. I don't know. It's, it's really high. What's amazing this year, we didn't have a financial goal. We just wanted a goal of everyone to participate. And because we didn't make a big goal our focus, it's kind of beat every goal I think we've ever had. So it's been wonderful, and we're very excited about it. <clears throat> so anyway, we'll get, we'll get a full report on all of that. And again, if you haven't had that, again, our goal has been 100% participation. If everybody does something, see, that's the thing. If everybody just does something, there's a big result. And this is true in any area of, of the church. If we all even just do a little bit, what amazing things God can do in our lives. All right, so on this first Sunday after Christmas, we're going to be reading from the gospel in uh, Matthew's gospel, the second chapter, starting at verse 13. Now, after they had left, an angel of the Lord, now they, they we're speaking of, are the wise men. The wise men showed up, um, as I've told you before, not likely the night Jesus was born. Of course, we see that in all their acting out of the Christmas story, the shepherds and the angels and the wise men. Actually, the wise men didn't show up for probably at least a year Possibly two, but most likely a year. We'll show you why we think that in just a minute. 
So, uh, because they saw this event, they saw the star, these guys were, I don't know what they were, but they were following these events, and they were from probably Babylon, the east, uh, um, uh, what's his name? Daniel, <laughs> guy in the lion's den. <laughs> Daniel had, had written, he, they, he lived in the east, about when the Messiah would be coming, so they were kind of aware of this. Even the Jews were aware, but they weren't paying attention. But anyway, uh, so when this thing happened, then they came to see the Christ child, and like I said, it's not like they hopped on Delta. They had to walk the entire time. And it probably took them at least a year of long travel from the east to find the Christ child. So anyway, after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Isn't this interesting? God knew what Herod was going to do. He wasn't searching for him yet. He said, he's about to. And uh, so you need to get out of town. So Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, uh, out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, tricked in the sense that he had told the wise men, go look for the child. When you find him, let me know so I can come worship. Well, they didn't want to come back and tell him because they were warned, look out, Herod means evil. So they didn't go back, so he felt tricked by them. He was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem who were two years old and under, according to the time that he learned from the wise men. So the wise men undoubtedly had told him this time frame. We're assuming a year because we assume that Herod, to cover his butt, would have added a year. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, he said the year will kill every kid under two uh, so that we can wipe out this threat. Now, Herod was a complete and total narcissistic psycho. And uh, he killed his own sons. Uh, anything that he felt was a threat to his power. Uh, he would have put to the sword. So he heard about this, didn't like it, and sends out this edict. And uh, so then it was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, hundreds of years earlier, had prophesied that a horrible event would happen. And he quotes it, he says, a voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. And that was a very horrible account written in the scripture. I'll take a look at it a little bit this morning. Now, there are a lot of secular historians who doubt that this event actually even happened, but then there's a lot of secular historians who doubt everything the Bible says. But uh, the reason they say they doubt that it happened is because there is uh, virtually no other historical references of this event. Now, part of the problem here is that uh, Christian uh, history has greatly exaggerated this event. Oh, when I was studying this, they were saying, you know, perhaps 10,000 children were killed, um, and the numbers just start getting wilder from there. I think the highest I saw was Eastern Orthodox churches who claim 114,000 babies were killed. So that's why historians say, well, that's true. Surely that would have been recorded somewhere. Uh, but it's not, because all of that is, has to be a ridiculous exaggeration. I don't know why people want to exaggerate things, maybe to make it more powerful, and so we can be more impacted by it. 
But Bethlehem, there weren't 114,000 people in Bethlehem. Bethlehem, actually there is a recorded uh, census of Bethlehem taken about uh, in the Middle Ages, about the 1400s. There was about 1,500 people in Bethlehem. So you back that up another 1,500 years, you know, you're talking Dunbar. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, there's not that, it's a small little town. We've got lots of tiny unincorporated towns in Wisconsin. Wisconsin tends to be a rural state. And you can imagine how many children in Dunbar are there that are two years old and under. I'm sure there's some, but there's probably not that many. So now I'm sure it doesn't matter. Someone kills your baby. You don't care that, gee, at least not 10,000 are being killed. You know, this was a horrifying event. It brought great sorrow to those who were impacted by this because of the psychotic moron who was so afraid of anything that could be a threat to his power. He heard a king had been born. Well, let's just wipe out all the kids in this area. So I think the main reason uh, there weren't uh, any other historical references, first of all, uh, it's highly doubtful that every horrible thing Herod did was recorded. Uh, and these kings would routinely put everybody, all kinds of people to the sword just because they didn't like the way they looked. Uh, so just to think that this would have been recorded. Again, this really falls on the Christian community, historians who have greatly exaggerated. There is no way tens of thousands of babies could have been killed in a town that probably had less than a thousand people in it. You get the math, all right? So um, clearly um, this happened. It's recorded, we see in the scriptures, and it was a prophecy spoken by the prophet Jeremiah hundreds of years earlier that this would happen. And uh, Matthew points out this is the fulfillment of that prophecy. And thirdly, it explains why Jesus was taken into Egypt. Because you think, well, why did they go into Egypt? Well, they went into Egypt because Herod was out to try and kill the child and killed many children trying to find him. So anyway, as you look at this event, uh, it's easy to have the question raised, why do bad things happen? All right? And, um, you know, let's be clear. Number one, God is not the author of evil. Je Jesus said in John's gospel, it's recorded, the thief, talking about Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. He says, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. James, in his epistle, wrote, look, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. So the New Testament teachings are very clear. If it's good, wonderful, and great, a wonderful blessing, that comes from God. If it's in the category of steal, kill, and destroy, that comes from the devil. Don't get caught up in this thing of, gee, God, you know, made something bad happen. God doesn't make bad things happen in the sense that we would think of it. If something really bad and horrible, someone's killed, robbed, still murdered, violence in schools, whatever, nut jobs doing one thing or the other, you know, you know, it just fries my Puerto Rican pancakes, these secular people, you know. First of all, they tell us there is no God. And then when something happens, they say, well, why did God allow that? I thought there was no God. You know, but it's, it's like, <laughs> it's like brothers. How many of you grew up you guys had other brothers. You know what I'm saying? You love to do something and then blame one of your brothers. Right? We do that all the time. Usually Eddie. <laughs> He's a bishop now. But we used to love just doing something and blaming Edwin and watching him get slapped 
for something he didn't do. It brought joy to our soul for some reason. Anyway, so this is basically the devil. The devil does terrible things, and then he gets people to blame God for it. Why did God do that? Well, God doesn't do things like that. It wasn't God. It was the devil. If it's good, simple math here, folks. Good equals God. Evil equals Satan. Why did God let this happen? Why did God let these people kill all these people? Why did God let 9-11? It wasn't God doing these things. This was the devil doing these things. There's a lot of evil in the world. We kind of, you know, because we're the strongest nation in the world, we kind of live a bit isolated from this. But the truth is there's horrible things happening nonstop all around the world because there's evil in the world, okay? That's why Jesus came, to save us from the evil. Well, we know that God doesn't do evil. And the next question, well, then why does God allow bad things to happen? We have to understand, not every event on this earth is controlled by God, okay? Um, and there's some people that get in these theological debates, is everything predestined, uh, is, is, is everything free will? And they have all these massive debates on either side. The truth is, most of it is free will, with God in the middle of it doing things that he has predestined. Both things are happening at the same time. Which is which? Well, I don't know. You know. But God knows. But generally, most stuff just happens. If I walk up and slap Scotty here, which I wouldn't do because he's twice my size. But if I walk up and slap Scotty, you guys can't see Scotty's on fire. <clears throat> um, that wasn't the Lord slapping Scotty. Okay? Now, there's some religiously, what's the term? Nutty people who think everything is God or the devil. And it's just not you know, if you're always thinking everything is God or the devil, check your medication, all right? It's just people. People do things. Natural events happen, you know? Uh, I was over at some lady's house once, and she was a little bit in that category. And then uh, all of a sudden, uh, the wind blew and kind of sucked the, uh, the screen door, and it opened. She goes, huh? I think a demon just left the house. First of all, I don't think demons use doors. I don't know. If I was a demon, I'd just go through the wall. But, you know, not everything that happens is one of these events. <laughs> I remember some years ago, I was talking to a couple of girls. I was, man, that's a long time ago. I must have been 19 years old. And uh, we were in some donut shop. I think it was in Nashville, Tennessee or something. Anyway, I'm in this donut shop, and the air conditioning is on. I don't know if you've ever been to the South. The South loves to boast all you people from the South. Oh, it's so warm down here. It's so warm. Yeah, as long as you don't go inside. Because virtually every building in the South is like a meat locker. You could hang bacon in these people's houses, and it wouldn't spoil. You know, I always think, if you want it so cold, go to Wisconsin. You can get that for free. Just open the windows, right? No, no, we, we don't want to scout this cold. Are you kidding? It's a lot warmer here because it's like 72 when we go inside and not 62. Anyway, in there and freezing. And these girls would tell me, I think there's a demon on your left shoulder. I said, watch. Yeah, it's making you shake. Oh, for heaven's sakes. <laughs> they were so weird. So many weird religious people. Okay, Not everything that happens is God doing it. Now, Satan now does... Uh, something terrible causes people to blame God. Now, some of this blaming uh, occurs over some of the stupidest things. And I know when it's you, it doesn't seem stupid. But, you know, people who are upset, you know, why did God let my cat die? Everything dies. 
You know, I don't think God hated your cat and wanted to kill it. Why did God let my boyfriend break up with me? I don't know. Maybe you're obnoxious. I don't know. God had nothing to do with it. Seriously, you hear people talk like this. Oh, why did God let me fail my history test? I don't know. Maybe you weren't paying attention in class. It's interesting when all of a sudden something bad happens, how many people immediately blame God? Don't do that. Now, there's serious things that happen sometimes, horrible things that happen. Why did God let my children die in that car wreck? Um, well, because someone's probably drunk and not paying it. Why didn't he protect? You know, I don't know. Look, as we do see as recorded in this account in Matthew, is that God will and does intervene in the face of evil, but it's why we pray as we just prayed together, all of us, deliver us from evil. We pray that God will deliver us from evil because there is evil in the world. And the implication is if you don't pray this way, you're not going to get delivered from evil because evil just happens. You want to ask and pray God to intervene in your life. Pray over your life. Pray for your children. Pray for your spouse. Pray for your family. Pray for your friends. Pray for God's protection in your life. Why? Bad stuff happens. You can't just go around and just ignore and then something bad happens and get mad at God. Now sometimes, even if you are prayerful, something bad can still happen. It could be a testing of your faith, like with Job. I mean, I don't know. All I know is when we get to heaven, it's all going to make sense. I think one of the first things people are going to say when they get to heaven is, oh, that's why. <laughs> you know, because we don't see it here. We don't get it. But he does, and we can trust God, even when things go terribly, terribly wrong. All right? Uh, the question, why doesn't God just prevent every act of evil? Well, we know he doesn't. Otherwise, otherwise we wouldn't need to pray, deliver us from evil. And it just, you know, we don't have to pray, God, for the sun to rise tomorrow. It's going to rise. You pray for things that won't happen unless you pray. Does that make any sense? You want to pray protection. Why? Because otherwise you won't be protected. It's a nasty world out there. Um, so it just doesn't run that way. That's why we run to God. That's why we read the scriptures like David wrote in the Psalms or as is recorded in 2 Samuel. David said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. Why? Because bad things were happening to him. That's why he would run to God and God would deliver him. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. From violent people, you save me. And we see this theme all throughout the Psalms as he cried out and prayed to God for protection. And God did indeed protect. Remember, the number one pre reason people don't get answers to prayer is they don't pray. I said, well, I don't give many answers to prayer. Do you pray? Well, not really. <laughs> well, that's why. You need to pray and pray earnestly. All right? All right. Even with all of that, at the end of the day, sometimes bad things happen to really good people. And as I said, someday we will all learn the reasons why. Well, let's go back to Matthew and continue reading uh, from the gospel reading this morning. So the next verse we read there is, when Herod died... An angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph. Now, I don't know if you've been counting. This is the third dream he has had. The first one is when he wanted to quietly, because he was a righteous man, you know, not make a big deal of it, just get away from Mary, 
because he didn't understand what had happened. An angel appeared to him in a dream. Then an angel appeared to him in a dream to go into Egypt because Herod's coming. Now an angel of the Lord appears to, appears to him again in a dream in Egypt and said, get up, take the child and his mother and go back to the land of Israel. For those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus, or however you say his name, was ruling over Judea in the place of his father, another psychotic guy. He was afraid to go there. And after being warned again in a dream, and number four, this boy has some serious dreams going. Then he went away to the district of Galilee. And there he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. Matthew does this a lot, as Matthew's gospel... He constantly points what happens and then points to the prophecy that said it would happen. And it's, it's amazing. The odds of Jesus fulfilling these prophecies are virtually mathematically impossible. Yet he does over and over and over again in every, every area of his life. And this is another one. A prophecy that said um, uh, he will be called a Nazarene, or this translation says a Nazorian. I've never heard that word before, but it makes sense. He is a Nazarene. He's from Nazareth. All right? So, the second question after why do bad things happen is, does God still talk to people today like he did to Joseph? He had four angelic dreams. Does God still do things like that? And the answer, of course, is yes. God still does speak to people. Uh, but, of course, you have to be listening. <laughs> it helps. But God will speak to you, but he does it in various ways. Now, in Joseph's case, for some reason, uh, he, had a, he had a lot of God speaking to him in dreams. I don't know if you've ever had a dream where you felt like God was speaking to you or something like that. In all the years I've been on this planet and following Jesus since I was a young teenager, I had one dream where uh, God spoke to me in that dream. And I'll never forget, it's like a dream like you can't imagine. It is extraordinarily powerful. You're aware that you're dreaming, and yet you can tell it's God speaking to you in this dream. And, uh, and man, I remember I woke up, I was just buzzing. Woo! I mean, this was no normal late-night pizza dream, okay? This, and there was nothing like aliens or anything, and weird stuff going on. It was just God speaking. Because I was in a great, uh, I think I was 30 years old, I was in this big turmoil about a decision in my life. What should I do? I'm praying, I'm crying out to God, I'm fasting. And, and then I have this dream about this decision, direction I was going to go. And uh, he's, he's very simply, Jesus in the dream comes to me and says, it will be okay. And I woke up and that was it. But oh my goodness, did it set my heart at peace. Now, it will be okay. So I went and made this change in my life and went through what to this very day is the most hellish four years of my life. Now, apparently his version of okay and my version of okay is not exactly the same. All right? It's like when the angel appeared to Mary, you're going to be blessed. Whee! Well, then nobody believes she's why she's pregnant. They have to go on this stupid trip on a donkey, nine months pregnant, eight months pregnant. How much fun did that have to be? They get to town. There's no place to go. She's in a barn giving birth. She's probably thinking, where is that angel? Let's smack him upside the head. So uh, it was horrible. I hope I never, ever, ever relive 
days like that, and I wouldn't want days like that wished on anybody. It did, however, put me on the path that brought me into the ministry, and specifically here to Green Bay, and uh, doing what I do all around the world, speaking into families' lives. Um, but it was, <laughs> it was horrible. And like I said, I've never forgotten it. Every time I think it'll be okay, I think, oh boy. <laughs> Which, you know, I was kidding last week, I was talking about my wife, sometimes she'll have a, a dream that I did something mean, and she wakes up and she's mad at me. And a lot of guys know what I'm talking about, your wife does the same thing. And then she asked me, she said, how come you don't get upset when I'm upset? And I say, because I have a long-term view <laughs> of things. I assume you won't stay mad forever. That's why I'm not still you know, all upset. But the truth is, I keep kind of a long-term view about things in general. I do. And certainly from experiences in my life, I've learned to have a long-term view. God certainly has a long-term view. Don't freak out about every little instance in your life and get obsessed by every little, look, little broader view. God is doing a work inside of you. He isn't done with you yet, all right? And try not to panic when things go south in your relationships or your bank account thing or your, a check bounce or whatever. I, I know people, they come totally, completely. Un now, I get it. At the time, some of these events are overwhelming. Uh, but they're just small events in the great scheme of things. So God can speak to people in dreams. Um, God often will speak to people with the scriptures. I don't know if you've ever had, a lot of people have had that experience when you're reading the Bible and you are, it's like God is talking directly to you. I remember when I was uh, <laughs> a very new Christian uh, and I'm reading the Bible for the first time. I can't think, and it was like, he was talking straight to me. It freaked me out. I went, ah! And I pushed the Bible onto the floor. I'd never had anything like that. I'd never read Huckleberry Finn where Huck was talking to me. You know what I'm saying? This, this was an experience I'd never had before. This was like, wow, God will talk to you through the scriptures. Uh, here's a clue. In order for that to happen, you have to actually read the scriptures. Okay? Again, I know I make fun of these things, but the truth is a lot of us, we just don't do much of anything. We don't pray much. We don't read the Bible much. And then we wonder how come we don't have these events. You have to pursue these things. And you will start experiencing wonderful things when God starts talking to you. Some people have visions. I've never had a vision. But people will have visions where they'll see things. Uh, and, uh, you know, God will speak to them one way or the other. Uh, a lot of people, you'll hear God speak to you just in a still, small voice. Uh, you know it's not your thought. By the way, all the thoughts in your head are not God. That's number one. Stay away from the nutty category, okay? Well, the Lord told me this. The Lord told me turn left. The Lord told me check my socks. The Lord, no, that's just your head talking to you, all right? Uh, not every, but when it does, if you're being sensitive, you can tell it's different. It's just different than anything else. Jesus said, my sheep know my voice. And when he speaks to you, sometimes it's the simplest little thoughts that come in your You, if you're paying attention at all, you will know it's God talking to you. Uh, uh, sometimes God will just use people to speak into your life. I've had that before. Someone's talking to me, and I just felt like God was talking right through that person directly at me. Um, and, and it's a wonderful thing that God uses people. Sometimes I've sensed God using me to talk to people. I don't know if you've ever had that experience. There's been times I'm talking to people, and all of a sudden I'm saying things I didn't know I knew. Serious. And I'm giving this advice, and when I go down, I went, wow. And I knew what it was. It was God talking through me to this person, giving advice. You know? Hey, it can happen. You remember uh, Balaam's 
jackass talked. And, and if God can use an ass, he can, he can use me. So, uh, and sometimes God will use circumstances to speak into your life. And then you just got to pay attention. Usually he'll use several things so you can really know that it's God. You know, maybe you had a vision or you had a dream or you heard a voice and someone said something to you. And then the circumstances, that's how you're really sure. I wouldn't go running off too crazy on any one thing by itself, generally speaking. Look for things to happen. But circumstances, God has led me a great deal in my life with circumstances. The one analogy I've given over and over again. In my life, the way God really directs me is it's like he closes every window and door in the house. He lights the house on fire and opens one door. I feel compelled to go through the one door. It's like every other door, every opportunity has shut down in my life and I go this direction. It's like I don't have any other choice. And it's just God's grace in my life because I don't pay attention to all this stuff anyway. But God will and still does talk to people. And you want to put yourself in a situation where he can do that in your life. All right, I'm going to ask yesterday to come forward at our campuses here in Green Bay, Appleton, Stevens Point. Come forward and ready to serve us communion as we continue our worship. Now, this won't make any sense to you guys in Appleton and Point, but who was that singing this morning? Holy cow. Was that impressive? Give her a hand. I don't even know her name. I do not impress easily, but I was impressed. Anyway, sorry, you guys. But whoever it was, he was amazing. Anyway, so we're going to have our time. I invite the ushers to come forward. Now, uh, this is when we turn our attention to uh, our time of communion, which we do every Sunday. In his epistle to the Corinthians, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He said, everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. So with those words in mind, I want us to bow our heads in a word of prayer. I'm just going to pray a prayer of forgiveness for us in general as we're listening this morning, kind of examining your own heart, see where you're at today, have you been over the last week. Let's kind of examine ourselves as we go before the Lord this morning. Heavenly Father, before we partake of the bread and the cup this morning and in obedience to the scriptures, we pause now to examine ourselves. If we have sinned against you in thought, word, or deed, by what we've done or by what we've left undone, if we've not loved you with our whole heart, if we've not loved our neighbors as ourselves, for the sake of your son, Jesus, who gave himself as a sacrifice for our sins, have mercy on us and forgive us of our sins. Strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of your Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Now, as every head is bowed, and I want you to keep your heads bowed for a little bit, if you're new to faith this morning and you're in our services here at our campuses, maybe you're watching online, if this is new to you uh, or you've never truly experienced God's saving grace in your life, I want to encourage you right now, we're doing this a little bit differently this Sunday, just to quietly in your own words, as we sit here for just a minute, ask Jesus to forgive you and invite him to come into your life. 